Hi, this is Michael Buffer, and welcome to the Box Hard Podcast. Hello, everyone. This is Mikey Garcia. It's the monster from the swamps, Regis Ruguru Program. Hey, what's up? This is King Carlos Molina, former IBF world champ. This is Michael, the bounty hunter, 2012 Olympian and your people's champ. This is Charlie Edwards, flyweight champion of the world. This is Fast Eddie Chambers, and you're listening to the Box Hard Podcast with my main man, Joey Coastman. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 249 of the Box Hard Podcast. I'm your host, Joey Coastman, riding solo this week. Uh, just me, myself, and I this week. Of course, we will be bringing in the interview later on, which will be with the former WBC light heavyweight world champion, Mr. Montel Griffin, uh, well, where, where Montel will be talking about various things, including, of course, his, you know, his boxing career, in which he goes into great detail on many fights including those two fights against James Tony, those two fights against Roy Jones Jr. Um, you know, he tells a lot of kind of behind-the-scenes type stories about, you know, many of his fights. Um, he talks about the night he gave away 17 pounds at the weigh-in, or the day, I should say, he gave away 17 pounds at the weigh-in when he, when he, when he fought a guy called Ross the Boss Thompson. Uh, that's not on fight night. That's at the weigh-in. 17 pounds. They were literally weight classes apart. Um, he also talks about becoming a sheriff and then getting suspended from his job for, you know, in his opinion, unfair circumstances. And, um, you know, he's got a book out now called The Ice Life, which is a fantastic book. You should definitely... Um, go and purchase that online or whatever if you like the interview and um, yeah Montel you know he's got a great story he began boxing at 12 years of age I think he quit boxing for seven or eight years he came back had a brief but very impressive amateur career in which he beat a former uh, or sorry a future heavyweight world champion and then of course he went on to have a very very interesting pro career one thing I will say the actual interview itself is a little bit uh, echoey on his end um, a few technical issues this week so there's a bit of an echo there but it's still very listenable um, I hope you all check it out like I say at the end of the review and preview and news segments this week um, please check it out let let us know if, if, if it's okay to listen to if it's listenable um, yeah there's a slight echo but after about two minutes you'll 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 uh you you won't even notice it I don't think so check that one out please um but yeah before we get into that of course we're going to talk about the review and preview segments we're going to start with the review um segment as always we're going to start here with a card that took place a week ago today last Thursday at the bubble in the MGM Grand Las Vegas the 16th of July uh, topping the bill Felix Verdejo 27 and 1 now a TKO for him in the first round against Will Madeira uh, the undefeated Will Madeira now 15 and 1 with three draws though he has that loss now, has his O taken away there. Uh, also on the undercard, Jared Anderson, the heavyweight, only 20 years of age. I think he's um, he's about six foot four, six foot five. Nice guy, likable guy. Five and O now, four first round KOs. Another one here, um, you know, 
TKO in the first round against Hector Perez, who's now 7-3. and three. Um, Definitely one to watch for the future, Jared Anderson, also known as Big Baby. Uh, moving out now to Magdeburg in Saxon-Anhalt, Germany. Ajit Kabayel, now 20-0. and 0. This one was for the vacant WBA Continental Heavyweight title against Evgenios Lazaridis. Haven't seen the fight, but it was a 10-round unanimous decision there for Ajit Kabayel. Uh, like I say, now 20-0. and 0. Uh, Lazaridis, 16-3. and 3. Didn't actually watch the fight, but you know, from what I've heard, Caballero didn't look overly impressive. Obviously, former European champion. Many, many big fights for him. Still quite a young guy. I think he's about 27, 28. So, uh, I want to see him in those big fights. Good fighter, Caballero. Holds that win over Derek Chisora. Uh, moving out now to the Mississippi Valley Fairgrounds in Iowa, USA. Strange one. We don't normally talk about any other fights, you know, aside from boxing. But we have to bring this one up. Um, a UFC Hall of Famer. Pat Miletic, I've never really heard of him, you know, I have to say that, I'm not a UFC fan, I'm not an MMA guy, I'm a boxing guy through and through. Pat Miletic, 52 years of age, got in the ring against Michael Nunn, the former the former world champion, the former boxing world champion, 57 years of age, I think Michael Nunn's only been out of prison for about a year, um, maybe not even that long actually. Um, Michael Nunn hadn't had a professional boxing match for, I think it was over 18 years. He returned to the ring with a split decision win over um, four rounds, and that was kickboxing. So credit to Michael Nunn, who weighed um, 190 pounds. That's crazy. Anyways, all the best to Michael Nunn, 57 years of age. Uh, That's it for... That, moving out now to the final card to review um, at the bubble again, the MGM Grand in Las Vegas, Nevada, uh, Tuesday, so just two days ago. Um, let's start with the undercard. Isaac Dogbay, friend of the show, opened up the card. Um, obviously now working with, you know, working with a new trainer. Um, Dogbay had a big round in the fourth round. He hurt his opponent, Chris Avalos, um, to the body a few times. He seemed to be hitting Avalos too often at that at that point. You know, he's starting to pick up the uh, the pace a little bit. You know, it looked like the writing was on the wall at that point after that fourth round. Despite the earlier rounds not really being overly dominant dog bay. Um, you know, at times he looked a little bit one-dimensional, I'd even say, in the early, the first one, two, three rounds. Um, but he was working his jab, you know, more often than usual. Um, round five, Dog Bay had a point deducted for a low blow. Um, you know, I just have to say, definitely for me, he's just too small for this weight, you know. Um, obviously a former super bantamweight world champion, he's moved up to, to featherweight. I don't feel like moving up was the right answer. Perhaps Navarrete just had his number. He's so much bigger than him at 122. And obviously Chris Avalos is, you know, very much a gatekeeper really at 126. It was the perfect kind of testing you know, testing the water type fight, really. Obviously, Avalos been knocked out in five rounds by Frampton and Oscar Valdez. I think he went eight rounds with Leo Santa Cruz. Mark Magseo knocked him out in six rounds. Um, it was only an eight-rounder. Um, he almost ended up surviving the distance, Avalos, and um, Dog Bay got him out there. Had him down twice, I believe it was, and he got the stoppage with only 32 seconds left. Um, I think he had him down twice, not 100% sure, was it once or twice? Um, can't remember now, but anyway, 32 seconds left in the fight, you know, 
I would have liked to see it really go the distance, you know. Um, but yeah, not not overly impressive, all in all, really. You know, I was really looking forward to see Dog Bay back in action. Like I say, friend of the show, brilliant guy. I love Dog Bay to bits. Really excited to see him return to the ring, obviously for the first time after those back-to-back defeats to Navarrete. But it didn't leave me really wanting more. You know, I'm not super looking forward to his next fight or anything like that. I just hope it's a quick turnaround and we see him... Um, you know, go up in level again pretty soon, you know, because like I say, that wasn't the best fight there for him. He, he's a lot better than that. He's got a lot of, you know, of good tools and stuff like that. He's 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 a great guy, a great human being, great fighter. But um, I just don't think 126 is his weight class, to be completely honest. Also on the bill, we got to see Edgar Belanga, who was 13-0 with 13 knockouts all in the first round he took on Eric Moon who was 11 and 2 a lot of people were looking forward to this fight they felt like Eric Moon could be the guy to take Belanga into the second round for the first time in his pro career well it wasn't to be it only took him 60 seconds to get rid of Eric Moon so Belanga's now 14 and 0 with 14 first round knockouts um yeah just unbelievable he's he's you know approaching um, Edwin Valero's um, record, which was 18 first-round KOs from his debut up to his 18 first pro fights. He, he, he won all of them in the first round. Um, so, yeah, really bright future Edgar Belanga has. And the main event, of course, Oscar Valdez, now 28-0. He took on Jason Velez, a tough guy, Jason Velez. He'd never been stopped up until... Tuesday night, he was stopped for the first time in his career in the final round, obviously, of the 10-rounder. Um, again, didn't really catch fire the fight um, until Valdez dropped Velez. And Velez hadn't actually been down for about seven years prior to that, I believe. Um, obviously, like I say, he'd never been stopped. Um, it was a big left hook that Valdez landed to put Velez down in that fifth round. And again... Valdez, like Dog Bay, you know, he's given away a lot of height advantages to his opponents now. You know, that's just the way it's going to be, though, for him and Dog Bay because they've moved up in weight and they weren't really tall for their previous weight class, you know. So, you know, that's just what it's going to be. But in the end, you know, Valdez put Velez down twice in the final round and Tony Weeks waved it off. So being the first man to stop Velez, I suppose, in retrospect, is a big win. It's a big statement there. Um, at, at you know his, his kind of new weight Valdez I think he's had I think he's had one fight at that weight perhaps already I think um, yeah so big fights for him I think he's eyeing up the uh, the all Mexican showdown with Miguel Bachelt although I don't think that's a wise move for him um, getting on now to the preview part of the show the bubble at the MGM Grand they've been putting on shows on Tuesdays and Thursdays pretty much every week they're taking a rest this Thursday so there's going to be no action on Thursday no action today or later today um there is action though tomorrow night at the Fantasy Springs Casino in Indio, California. Um, on the undercard, we get to see Shane Mosley Jr. 15 and three take on Jeremy Ramos, who's 11 and eight. Um, also on the bill, friend of the show Hector Tanahara, the undefeated prospect, 19 and 0. This one's for the WBC United States lightweight title against Masito Gesta. Not a mug, Masito Gesta. 32 and 3 with three draws. Um, you know, been the distance against Jorge Linares for 
for uh, Linares' WBA world title back in 2018. That's really his kind of claim to fame, if you like. Um, but, you know, good fighter. He's been, the, he's been the distance again in a world title fight against Miguel Vasquez. So a two-time world title challenger. He's got so much more experience than... Uh, than Hector Tanahara, and it's a huge step up for Tanahara. I hope he's ready for that one. Really, really big fight there. Um, and topping the bill, of course, Virgil Ortiz Jr., 15 and 0 with 15 KOs. He takes on Samuel Vargas, 31 and 5 with two draws. Vargas, um, you know, biggest fight of recent years would be the loss to Amir Khan in 2018 uh, when Amir Khan had that kind of homecoming in Birmingham. Um, you know, and it was it was a, a fight where Calm, you know, was was on the deck again. He had him down in the second round, Vargas. Um a little bit of a danger man, I suppose. You know, he's been he's been around the block, he's boxed various different guys, Danny Garcia, Errol Spence, uh Louis Colazzo, guys like that. Um all losses, but I wish him all the best. He's trained by Bones Adams, who's a friend of the show, really, really nice guy. Uh also is there anything else that evening? Uh, tomorrow evening, I don't think so. Um, we move to Saturday. Uh, Saturday, we get to see a card that takes place in Mexico. Good friend of mine, of course, former IBF light middleweight world champion Carlos Molina, thirty-two and eleven with two draws. His record. He's in a ten-rounder against Abraham Juarez, who's sixteen and five. Both men in their recent couple fights have boxed the undefeated Abbas Baral from. Uh, from Germany, they both boxed him, both lost to him, um, in my opinion, Carlos Molina didn't deserve to lose that fight, but that's another story, but Carlos Molina's back here, he's fighting and promoting uh, that card there, there's also four, I think four fights on the undercard, all decent fights, so um, check that one out, I think it's on Fight TV, which is an app, I've already downloaded it on my phone, Top Rank put out their stuff on that app as well, um, you know, throughout this pandemic, I think uh, I think you can buy this event, Carlos Molina's event, it's on Saturday night, so check that one out, and also... Um, in the UK, of course, we get to see at the BT Sports Studio, uh, Joe Joyce topping the bill, 10-0. and 0. He's in a 10-rounder against Michael Wallish of Germany. Michael Wallish uh, has a record of 20-3. and 3. However, those three losses have came in his last four fights. Uh, he lost by KO in five rounds to Christian Hammer, then in two rounds to Effia Jagba. He came back with a win against a journeyman, then he came back and lost his last fight in three rounds to Tony Yoka. Um, so I don't expect Joe Joyce to have much trouble with Michael Wallish. Um, also on the undercard, a good fight between Chris Bork and Ramez Mahmoud for the vacant Southern Area Super Bantamweight title. Bork 7-0, and uh, Mahmoud 11-0, and someone's own must go there. Also Denzel Bentley on the undercard as well. Um, yeah, a couple decent fights on the undercard I suppose. Yeah, that's it for Saturday. Nothing on the Sunday, nothing on the Monday or the Tuesday. So that really brings us to the end of the preview part. Um, yeah, there's a lot to mention in terms of news. Some cracking fights that PBC have announced uh, this week. PBC, all their fights that they're going to be um, showing of of what I'm about to read will all be taking place, I believe, on Showtime in the States. But before we get onto that, a um, couple pieces of news to mention. Uh, you know, aside from that, uh, we're going to start here with the fact that 
Chantel Cameron has signed a promotional contract with Eddie Hearn's Matchroom Sport. Probably the best place for her to go um, if she wants that fight against Katie Taylor, which I would love to see that fight take place, by the way. Really, really good fight, that one. Um, so, yeah, she is signed with Matchroom. It's a good move. Um, hasn't really had it easy, to to be completely honest, uh, Chantel Cameron. So I wish her all the best with that move there. Um, brilliant stage for, for her as well. Um, other than that... Oh, yeah, there's another piece of news I should mention as well. Um, the, the fight that was supposed to headline on... August 15th in Oklahoma, in Oklahoma, uh, the the Matchroom USA card. We were supposed to get to see Julio Cesar Martinez defend his WBC World Flyweight title against McWilliams Arroyo, but um, Julio Cesar Martinez has been forced out of that fight because he tested positive for COVID-19. Instead, Cecilia Brackhouse and her um, opponent, the unified super lightweight world champion Jessica McCaskill, now headline that event there. So big, big, big platform for them. And also, a fight has been added to the undercard. Israel Madramov takes on Eric Walker again that Saturday, August fifteenth in Oklahoma. And here's the big Showtime PBC announcement. Um, I'm going to read out all the main events. August the 1st, Stephen Fulton Jr., 18-0, takes on Angelo Leo, who's 19-0. Brilliant fight there. Uh, David Benavidez takes on... Roma, Alexis Angulo, people will remember him. He's the guy that took Anthony Sims Jr.'s O. Uh, that should be a good fight. August 15th, that one. September 19th, Erickson Lubin against Terrell Goulchet. Both men um, have one defeat on their slate, and it's both in world title fights. So both men there looking to get a foothold back at that top level, at the 154 or in the 154 division. Um, all the best to both guys there. I'd like to see Terrell Goulchet have some luck, actually. Um, on September 26th, both the Charlo twins are on the same card. I'm going to start here with Jamal Charlo. He defends his world title against Sergei Derevianchenko. What a fight that is. Absolutely brilliant fight. Derevianchenko, 13-2. and two. Of course, those two losses were very close points losses to Daniel Jacobs and Triple G, Gennady Golovkin. So this is a big test for Jamal. And again, like I say, on that same card, Jamel Charlo defends his world title against Jason Rosario, who defends his world title. That's a unification there. Uh, Rosario obviously knocked out uh, Julian Williams in his homecoming in Philadelphia. So that's a brilliant fight. Uh, this puts us into October 10th, where we get to see... Sergei Lipinets, former world champion at 140, take on Quadratilo Abdukakarov, who is 15-0. Very good amateur was he, so that should be interesting. October 24th, Javante Davis against Leo Santa Cruz. I've wanted Leo Santa Cruz to get a big, big fight for a long time. Uh, Javante Davis, I've wanted to see him in the big fights for a long time. You know, Leo Santa Cruz has been talking about fighting Jamel Herring. He's been talking about fighting... Carl Frampton, he's been talking about fighting all these names for a long time. And, um, you know, this fight for me has kind of made it worth the wait. Same for Javante Davis. I wanted to see him take on Ryan Garcia. I wanted to see him take on Tevin Farmer. Um, you know, those fights never ended up happening, but they get it on. They're both kind of in the same position where they need a big fight now. It's been too long without a big fight. Even though Javante in his last fight beat, um, uh, beat Gamboa. 
You know, this is the big fight I feel like his career needs at this stage. The weird thing is, it's at Super Featherweight. It's for Leo Santa Cruz's WBA Super Featherweight world title. And it's also for Javante Davis' WBA lightweight world title, which is totally bizarre from the WBA. It's never been done before. It doesn't make any sense whatsoever. But, but you know, the winner becomes a, you know, they win two belts at two different weight classes without fighting at two different weight classes. I don't think Leo Santa Cruz has ever even had a fight at lightweight, so he could become lightweight world champion without even fighting at the weight. It's it's very strange. I just I, I don't really want to get into that because it's just crazy. Makes absolutely no sense. What are these sanctioning bodies doing? Makes no sense at all. But um yeah, I just I'm just excited about that fight. I'm pumped for that fight. Also, we get to see on November 28th Chris Colbert against Jaime Arboleda. Uh, that should be a good fight there. And uh, that one, by the way, is for the interim world title. And December the 12th, Nordinu Bali, 17-0, 12 KOs. The WBC bantamweight world champion takes on Nonito Donaire, the living legend himself. Nonito Donaire, arguably the nicest man in boxing. Um, Donaire, I'm really pleased to see him staying at bantamweight because he looked quite good there. You know, he gave Inoue a brilliant fight. He looked good there in the other fights he had in the World Boxing Super Series. Um, you know, he seems like he's rejuvenated at bantamweight. I'm so pleased to see him stick around there. It goes to show that he wasn't just hanging around and dieting like crazy for the money, for the World Boxing Super Series money. He's fighting Ubali here. Wouldn't imagine he's making a ton of money, but um, all the best to Donaire. I really hope he can become a champion once again. I'm not even sure how many titles he's got in his in his. Uh, in his display cabinet at home, you know, he is a total legend, hopefully we'll get him back on the show uh, within the next few weeks or something, and uh, that's going to be such a good fight, I'm really, really pleased to see that get made, and uh, that's it though for the review part, that's it for the preview part, and that is it for the news, just before I bring in the sole guest on this week's podcast, obviously the former WBC light heavyweight world champion Montel Griffin, I just want to say once again, I apologise in advance for the echo in you will hear it. It will probably take about two minutes to get used to. I hope it's listenable. Please, 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 if you do listen to it, just give me some feedback afterwards. Just let me know if, if it was okay or if there's anything you couldn't understand. Um, like I say, I apologize in advance once again. It's, I've had a lot of technical issues this week. And I uh, hope you enjoy it. I hope you can enjoy it. Uh, but yeah, with, with no further ado, I'm going to bring in our sole guest on this week's podcast right now. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the former WBC light heavyweight world champion. It is, of course, Mr. Montel Griffin. Montel, welcome to the show, my friend. How you doing? Thanks for having me, man. It's an honor and pleasure. It's an honor and a pleasure from me also. Um, I want to start with this, Montel, before we get into the boxing side of it. Um, what was your upbringing like? Obviously, born and raised in Chicago. I'm from the UK. We don't hear the most pleasant things about that area. But um, just tell me, what was what was it like growing up as a kid, um, born and raised, like I say, in that part of the world? Well, you know, Chicago get a bad rap now. I really, I, I, I've never seen, I mean, I'm not saying it doesn't happen, but I just, I've never seen nobody get shot. I've never seen no violence. I've never seen nobody get murdered in front of my eyes. I know, you know what I'm saying, the murder capital, you know, a few years ago, but, and we're not doing good right now, but as a kid, I just, you know, I, I was raised, I went to the gym every day with my father, and I would go, I actually would go out on the streets and just walk around and meet friends, so 
uh, you know, the gym one in the greatest neighborhood in the world needs on 63rd Street. I would go outside, walk around, go to the park, and meet friends. And then um, when we moved to the west side, I did the same thing. My father was like, man, you got a lot of heart. So you want to, you know, take a chance on going outside. So, I mean, I never really was scared to, you know, uh, uh, Chicago and like that. I, I still think it's a little blown out of proportion. Uh, it's just like certain neighborhoods where violence is, but Chicago is a great city. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I want to ask you this as well, a typical kind of opening question when we get onto the boxing. Where where did it all begin for you? What's your earliest boxing memory, perhaps the first time you put on a pair of gloves? I mean, I can't even remember that. I was in the gym at one, two years old. My father... <laughs> My father started taking my brother uh, to learn boxing for self-defense in 71. He bought the gym in 73, so I was in the gym my whole life. So uh, that's all I know. Um, I don't remember. It was I was so young, I don't remember the first time I put on gloves. Okay. Um, obviously, as an amateur, you had, if I'm not mistaken, only 41 fights, which isn't really that many. Uh, but in your amateur career, you actually beat future heavyweight world champion John Ruiz. Um, was that the highlight moment of, of the amateurs, Montel? Uh, no, I mean, uh, at that time, I mean, John Ruiz ended up being up becoming heavyweight champ. But, uh, I mean, Jeremy Williams was a superstar in amateur boxing at that time. Uh actually had, uh, I learned how to box as a kid. I quit when I was 12 and I came back. I had 33 fights. So I made the limit team with 30 amateur fights. And um, I don't think I lost the fight. Uh, I fought, I lost to Jeremy twice. I thought I won both fights. Everybody thought I did. And then I lost, you know, in twice of mine in the Olympics. And everybody thought I won that fight. So really, I really was undefeated as an amateur. And like I said, I only had 30, 33 amateur fights before I turned pro. Oh wow, that's amazing, man! So getting on to the your, your pro career, um, it all began February sixteenth, nineteen ninety three, um, on a on a Bernard Hopkins undercard in Colorado. Do you remember much about your, your debut second round KO? Uh, well, you know, a couple of my teammates fought on the card. Uh, Eric Griffin, I think. Uh, Sergio Reyes. I know Stevie Johnson fought that night. A lot of my friends fought that night, so it was pretty cool. To, uh, to find my pro debut, and um, I actually ran to a, a buddy of mine, Ricardo Muhammad, who, who I hadn't seen since my father died at 12 years old. He came to the fight, and um, he got back into my life, and he did a lot of PR work for me. But, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, you know, I always, I always wanted to fight when I hopped because I fought my pro debut on his undercard, but it never did work out. Yeah, I just thought that his style, his style was made for now. Okay. But I mean, even you know, even early on as a professional, you know, you, uh, you you didn't really have it easy on the come up. I remember in your seventh fight, uh, you were six and zero. You boxed um, undefeated KD King at that stage. Who, of course, went on to challenge for a world title himself. So that was a tough one early on. But let's fast forward to Monday, um, September twelfth, nineteen ninety four. You're thirteen and zero at this point. You boxed. Ray Lathan, who was 14 and 0, uh, the fight took place at the Great Western Forum in in California. You beat him unanimously over 12 rounds. You had him down in round two, but you were down yourself in round four. Um, what do you recall of that fight there, Montel? Uh, well, you know, first I want to say um, I want to give a shout out and respect to Ray Lathan, who passed away. Um, but Ray Lathan uh, was the hardest puncher I've ever been in the ring with in my life. Uh, 
I sparred over five heavyweight champions of the world, and uh, Ray Lakeman hit harder than anybody ever been in the ring with. Uh, he called me early in the first round, and I got a little. I knew that he was a dangerous man, so I changed my game plan. I went for a knockout, and I had him out. I honestly I, I thought he got counted out, but the bell rang, and they gave him a second chance. And then I got a little overconfident. He called me and dropped me. So it just got me back. Uh, I, was, I was more embarrassed than anything because my wife, my sister wife was there. So I was more embarrassed, but uh, I got up, took care of business, and, uh, you know, won the fight. Yeah, you, you certainly did. And, um, yeah, of course, you mentioned there, you know, he, he ended up finishing his career with a record of 23-1. and one. That, that one loss, of course, coming to you. And then, yeah, he was he was murdered in 2000. Um, five yeah, months five months after that fight, um, you know, you, you're in Las Vegas at the MGM Grand, boxing former two-weight world champion at the time, James Tony. Uh, James was coming off his loss to Roy Jones at the time. He'd obviously moved up in weight to fight you. Um, tell me, Montel, you know, you must have been expected to lose that fight, um, but of course you came out the victor. Well, I mean, I've been an underdog my whole career. Um, I think because of my height, five seven. And the things I did was just nobody could believe I did. Like I said, I made an Olympic team with 30 amateur fights, and I beat, I fought James Tony with 14 pro fights. So um, I had sparred James in 1992 when I was an amateur, and it was like tip for tat. So three years later, when I got the phone call, they offered me the fight. I said, well, if you, you know, up the money a little bit, I'll take it. So they did that. I fought an HBO, and, you know, I'm not here to say that I outskilled James Tony. No, I think that I worked him. The first time I just thought I, I hustled them and I worked them. Um, all three judges gave me the last three rounds on every scorecard. And then, you know, saying we fought a rematch. But yeah, in 95, uh, I, I felt comfortable going in the, in the fight. Yeah, and, you know, you, you won, of course, a majority decision over 12 rounds. But this is what I love. You beat a great fighter like James Tony at the MGM Grand in Las Vegas. Four months later, when your next fight took place, it happens at, at York Hall, which is pretty much the, the home of British boxing. It's, uh, you know, it's where so many fighters from the UK came up. Um, what was it like from, a, from a, you know, a, an American perspective to box in a place like York Hall? I actually, I was supposed to spot, uh, sign with Frank Baloney out the Olympics. So they flew me to London in 92, me and Robert Allen. We hung out. So that was the first time I went. And then, you know, I signed with Panos Iliade, so he's my promoter. So uh, me and Lennox had the same promoter. So I fought in London three times. And um, I just, I got great, uh, great memories, a nice city. It reminded me of, a, you know, a New York. And, um, you know what I'm saying, it's a great, great opportunity. Yeah, like I say, York Hall's got so much history over here, and uh, you're one of the, you know, the good fighters, the great fighters that box there. Um, after that James Tony fight, like I say, you know, you box three times in London um, and, and seven times back in the States. So, so, so ten fights you had, ten all uh, wins, all by knockout before that James Tony rematch came around. The fight took place in Reno, um, 1996, December the 6th. You won again this time, even wider on points than the first time. Uh, tell us about it, another another unanimous, well, this time unanimous over 12 rounds. Well, uh, the second fight, um, even though it was only a year apart, it was like two years. So I think I fought him January, I mean February, 95, and I fought December 96, so basically it was like two years. We both had 10 fights apiece. Uh, my confidence was up, and um, I was waiting for the rematch. Um, 
the money was good and everything, and I just went in there and I just showed how much better I got in two years. I beat him, you know, in the United and then only three months later, you were back in Atlantic City at the Taj Mahal Hotel and Casino when you challenged Roy Jones Jr. for his WBC light heavyweight world title. At the time, he's 34-0, and you're 26-0. and The fight ends in round nine when Roy was disqualified. Um, tell us about that night there, because, I mean... People can say what they want, but I've rewatched it numerous times now in the in the lead up to this interview. But you know, when you fell, you fell face first. That was uh, you know, it didn't look like you had much control over yourself at that point. But just tell us about the fight from your perspective. I thought I was winning the fight easy. Um, early in the, early in the fight, he got credited with a knockdown that he really didn't deserve. He he knew he didn't hit me. He didn't even jump out on me after I got the eight count. So that that was two points that I was you know down and uh. I just, I just did what I was you know, I, I, I brought it to him. I put the pressure on him. I fought when he didn't want to fight. I hit him with kind of some great gambling shots. I was winning this fight. And um, in the ninth round, uh, it was a split-second situation. I got through a right hand, and I was going to either block it or roll it. And I ended up trying to roll it, and, I hit my, and he hit me in the back of the head. So I was a little dizzy. So I just told myself, I said, Monte, you win this fight. Just take a knee, and let's just win these last three rounds. And uh, I, I tried to get the referee's count, and he walked up to me, and hit me. He, he hit me the first time, and he loaded up the second time. And idiot fans, I, I had a nerve to say that I was faking. And it's crazy. Uh, it was just a, a dirty punch. Roy apologized. I accepted his apology. I gave him a rematch and everything, but it's crazy. I actually, uh, a few months ago, I told Roy, I said, uh, I said, your fans love you so much that you hit me, but they hate they hate me, but you hit me. Yeah, that is crazy. No, but you know, it's, it's crazy. I mean, yeah, Roy Jones fans hate me because I took away his, you know, his, you know, you know, I mean, his undefeated streak and everything. But you know what I'm saying? He, he did something that was dirty, and you know, I don't know what why how people look at it. Well, I'd argue and say that you didn't take it away. He pretty much threw it away himself. To be completely honest with you, Montel. Um, oh yeah, regardless, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, he was frustrated. Yeah, and you know, he, he did load up with that second with that second shot. You know, you yeah, he loaded up. you even had your glove. You, you even had your glove on the canvas at the time as well. You know, I'm, I'm just glad. I thank God that I didn't lose consciousness and I didn't get killed. That was very dirty, and you know, I could have got hurt. Yeah, and like like you say, you know, it wasn't just one shot; it was two clean shots while you were clean. Hey, loaded up, yeah. loaded up, second one. Now, I know that you, of course, wouldn't have wanted to win a world title in that way. You'd have much, you know, much rather knocked Roy out. Or I was, beat I was him. beating him fair yeah. and square, so why would I care about disqualification when I was beating him? Yeah. But did you feel satisfied being a champion, though, in that way, Montel? Because, again, you know, you, you, you felt you were winning the fight, but for it to end like that, like I say, not the way you would have wanted to become champion, did you feel within yourself like a worthy world champion, or was it a tough time? Uh, you know what happened? Uh, I'm after the fight, I got in the car with my wife, and I said, man, I did not, I did not want to win like this. And I, I kept my head down. I, I didn't feel like a champion. And uh, I went to the WC. The WA had a convention going on during the fight in Atlantic City, and all the champs walked up to me and said, look, man, he did that because he was frustrated and mad for what you were doing to him. He said, you the champ. And uh, Mills Lane also said it to me. But after that, after I went to the WA convention and I felt a little bit better about myself. Yeah, good for you, my friend. 
And, you know, to your credit, you gave him that immediate rematch. The fight took place in Connecticut, August 7th, 1997. In the rematch, of course, Roy was able to win his title back with a first-round KO. Um, what do you recall of that Thursday night at the Foxwoods Resort? I've got to say, you did land some brilliant shots yourself in that first round. But, um, yeah, the, the left hand he, he landed to finish the fight was, was right on the button. It was pretty much a perfect punch. But the, the, the second fight, bro, I don't have to make no excuses. Um, uh, I got it out of uh, a guy in Roy's camp. I ain't going to say his name. A guy in Roy's camp told me that they forced me to come out and didn't let me warm up. I didn't warm up five minutes for that fight. Uh, uh, like I said, one of Roy's camp members told me 20 years later, like, man, we rushed you out there. We got you. And we did it on purpose. And your manager promoted knew about it. So that was just, you know what I'm saying, real, real hard to put. Dirty things happen in boxing all the time, it seems. Um, just just three months after that, you're you're back to winning ways. You boxed um, three times at the Orleans Hotel in in, in Vegas. Uh, you won all three fights. You you then won your next four fights, um, all by KO before boxing the undefeated future world title challenger Eric Harding in Miami um, Friday the 13th and it did prove to be a bad luck night for yourself a split decision loss over 12 rounds uh, do you feel like the right the right outcome happened there for you Montel? Of course not uh, every, the commentators on TV on Fox said Montel Griffin won 12 if not 11 rounds uh, Eric Griffin, I mean Eric Harden ran like a girl the whole fight he did not hit me he did not do nothing. He did not deserve a fight. And a few years later, I found out why I lost. And I just leave it at that. Okay. Um, after that, you, you put together a four-fight win streak all by knockout within five rounds. A brilliant streak before getting another shot at a world title, this time for the WBO light heavyweight world title against the champion at the time, Darius Mikulczewski. Now, on this occasion, you were stopped in the fourth round. Just tell us about that one. You had to travel to Germany as well, Montel. Well, all you got to do is watch the video of the tape. Uh, I dominate the man... Uh, the first three rounds of the fight, I dominated him. And uh, in the fourth round, uh, it was 10 seconds ago, he threw a flurry. Uh, I hit him back, and I saw Joe Cortez run over there, and I thought he was breaking up the fight because the bell rung. He stopped. He was stopping the fight. I never got knocked down. I never got hurt. I never got rocked. And you got and it's on video. You know what I'm saying? So it's just crazy. I dominated. I was dominating Mr. Justin in Germany, and they didn't want me to win, so they stopped the fight. Yeah, this this period of your career it seemed like you you went. I mean, I, but the thing is, the things I'm telling y'all right now, all you can do is video. I thought it's proof. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? If if you watch the, the second the second Roy Jones fight, the commentators said Roy has never started this fast in his career because you know I wasn't warmed up. I mean, it, it's just it's just blatant facts. But you know what I'm saying? It's over. It's been over 20 years ago. I don't even worry about it right now. But if if you want to know the truth, I'm telling you. No, I respect that, my friend. And eight months after that, uh, you, you're back. You're back on the road. You pick up a win over Jose Rivera in China. I think um, Layla Ali was on the undercard that night. Tell us about traveling to China. Must have been crazy. Well, it was a great experience. Um, I remember Layla when she came home from the hospital when she was a baby. I used to hang with her sister. I spent a lot of time with Susan Hanna and Ali's camp and. Uh, it was, it was a great experience to, to go to China and uh, fight on the same car with Layla Ali and um, 
uh, Andrew Galata. The only thing I was upset about is because both of their opponents, they both had easy fights, but I had a war. So I was like, how did that work out? No, a good win for you that night, and uh, you know that win in China was. was... That, that, that was the first. That was the first uh, title fight in China history. Wow, I didn't know that. That's cool, man. A lot of people didn't know that. They say I should have got the, uh, a medal of honor, but I, I didn't get it. No, that's, that's like, cool. I, did, I didn't get a lot of things I sort of got, so I'm used to it. <laughs> and that win in China, though, was, was the first of a six-fight win streak that lasted three years and earned you another attempt at a world title, this time uh, for two world titles, in fact, the, the IBF and uh, WBC titles against Antonio Tava. April 26, 2003, back at the Foxwoods Resort. Tell us about that one, Montel. Well, um, early in the fight in the first round... Uh, we got we got our feet mixed up. I threw a left hook. My back was turned to him. I thought the referee was gonna yell break. And Tava, you know, caught the opportunity, he hit me. He hit me in the back of the head. And I was knocked out in the first round. I had a concussion. And uh, when I went back to the corner, uh, the ring card had round number six. So uh, it was kind of crazy. I um, I remember round one, round six, round nine, and round eleven. I mean, I remember four rounds of a twelve-round fight, and I went the distance. So I'm, 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 I'm proud of myself to go the distance with a, with a great fight like that with a concussion. Yeah, that sounds crazy. After that fight, you were out the ring for I think it was just over a year. Uh, what kept you out the ring for that long, Montel? Well, Al Hammond, he uh, he was my uh, my manager, my 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 advisor. Yeah. And he ended up signing Tava and just basically just keep me to the curb. So he started working with Tava. I was still signed with him. And I just, I just sat around for a year. Uh, he got me a fight for some some for some peanuts. Then I fought uh, Julio Gonzalez in his backyard. You know what I'm saying? I fought uh, Al Hammond's fight, Rico Hoy in his backyard. Then Julio Gonzalez in his backyard. Both fights with losses and both of them technicalities. Uh, I, I played with Rico Hoy. He was the, Eric Harden and Rico Hoy, those two fights were the easiest two fights I've ever, ever fought in my life to go 12 rounds and I lost. So you tell me. Hmm. Well, that answers my next question. I was going to ask you about that Rico Hoy fight, um, obviously. Yeah. All, you, all you got to do, do is watch the fight. Hmm. And you'll see that. I just know where I lost. Yeah, another strange split decision that you were involved in. Crazy, crazy. And, and, and I lost five of my eight losses was in guys' hometown. I just leave it at that. Yeah, I know what that means. <laughs> and um, after that fight, you know, you pick up a win over Sam Reese. Uh, that that I want to talk about that um, Julio Gonzalez fight. Obviously, a former WBO world champion himself. Um, in fact, no, you kind of answered that there. Um, yeah, obviously, it ended in a uh, technical decision. Yeah, well, yeah, after the Pico Hoy fight, Al Hammond come back with a fight against a guy in his hometown in California. I said, man, you got to be joking. I took the fight because I had to. Um, the man headbutted me about seven times. I was bleeding. I should have just, I should have just told him I couldn't see after the third round, so so I wouldn't have to, you know, what I'm saying so it wouldn't have been an official fight because it was, it was some old uh, backstabbing stuff. Uh, you know, I lost in the technicality because uh, he he was cut. I, I was headbutted seven times. And I was bleeding, and then as soon as he get cut, they stop the fight. So it's it's just it's just happened in my whole career. 
Um, after the Gonzalez fight, obviously you get the win against Norman Jones for the vacant um, USBA title before getting the shot of former IBF light heavyweight world champion Glenn Johnson. Uh, tell us about that one, Hollywood, May 16th, 2007. Well, you know, Glenn Johnson is a great fighter, but, you know, it's just sometimes, sometimes you see something and it just don't, it just don't seem right. I saw Glenn Johnson fight Derek Harmon. I saw him fight Bernard Harkins, and he looked like a regular guy. Then I fight him, and he's two years older than me. I'm 37, he's 39, and every round he's getting stronger and stronger. And after the fight, I went to the dressing room and asked him what he found, what he found up to found the youth at. I looked him right in his eyes, and he looked down to the floor. That let me know. What was going on? That let me know the deal. That's a true story. I went in the dressing room and asked him where he found a fountain youth at, and he put his head down. Yeah. Um, after that, you know, you take a year out before returning against Corey Cummins. You got the win over him unanimously over 10 rounds. That's when the fight takes place with the undefeated 5 and 0 future two weight world champion Babut Shumanov. Again, you had to travel, you know, you, you traveled all over the place in your career. Another, another hometown loss. Uh, I, I already knew going to Kazakhstan, I, I had to win by knockout to win. Uh, no, you only get a I draw if it's a knockout. Down. You get a draw if it's a knockout. Right, man, right, so. <laughs> right. Well, that's what y'all always say in amateur. Thing. If you're not going to do out, they're going to wake them up and call it a draw. <laughs> I fought Babel, um in Kazakhstan. Uh, he was dead, tired. 11th round, I told my brother I was going to... No, I'm sorry. In the 11th round, he threw a shot and I slipped it and he fell into the ropes. And I turned around and hit him and the referee grabbed me and kept me from hitting him. I had him, on, I had him out. He was going to be gone. The referee grabbed me and wouldn't let me hit him. In the twelfth round, he came out and headbutted me. It's on video on YouTube. He headbutted me, a legal headbutt. You look at the referee. I looked at the referee, and the referee said, "Jump on him." So that's that's what I dealt. That's what I dealt with my whole career. I got cheated and robbed my whole career. Well, that's incredible, man. The, the thing that I want to say is on video. Watch it. I don't have to make no because everything I'm telling you is on video. Yeah, that's what I like. I, I want everyone that's listening to this to, uh, yeah, you know, if yeah, you've got watch, the... Watch, watch, uh, right, right, yeah, right. It's, it's all on YouTube to see, so go check this out, because it, it yeah, is quite yeah. crazy. Yeah. There's, it's, it's all on video. Um, you, yeah. You're then out the ring for almost two years before coming back against Ross Thompson. Um, Indiana was, was, was the place where, where, where the fight took place. Uh, May 29th was the date. A split draw over 10. I'm guessing you, you probably thought you did enough there, Montel. Man, of course I want to fight. Uh, I really, I really was done boxing. My friends were like, "Man, you got forty nine wins. You might as well get fifty. I said, "Okay." I, I, I was like, "All right, I'll go for 50. So I was going to go to the uh, academy to be a Cook County Sheriff. So I took the fight. I said, "I'm going to get my fittest win so I can retire, and start working." And you know, it's our way. You know, my, the promoter said, "Hey, look, Ross called and said he might be a little bit overweight." I'm like, "Ah." So I, I come in 178, Ross come in at 202. So the fight, the only reason I took the fight is because I was here, you know, start the job. So I had to sign off on the fight. Uh, I had to come in at 188 the day of the fight. I had to, I put on all my clothes, got on the scale, and they was holding my hip so I could make 188. I went in there, uh, Ross fought for three rounds. In the last seven rounds, I boxed him, I pointed him, and um, they called it a draw. You know what I'm saying? Indiana. Uh, very racist. Very racist in Indiana. They didn't want me. They knew I was fighting for a goal, and they didn't let me obtain it. So uh, I ended up fighting again 
you know, previous win against DeAndre Abron. And I fought that. I beat him easy. And then uh, I couldn't, you know, I couldn't, you know, uh, I was good off with the fight. So I, I never retired. I just, I just never fought again. Okay. I want to ask you this then, because obviously you retire there officially with 50 wins, eight losses, most of them being questionable, and one draw. Um, did you ever kind of have the itch to come back? You say you didn't officially retire. Did you ever have the itch to come back at all? Uh, yeah, I actually, I, actually, I say in, uh, what year is it? It's 20, in 16, 16, I was going to make a comeback. I was in the gym training. I was getting in good shape. Everything was cool. And I got suspended for my job. And there was so much going on at the time. So I just said, this must be God telling me to hang it up. So I just said, forget it not. And I, and, I, and I just gave up boxing after that. And I want to ask you a couple of quick kind of, you know, much quicker questions about little things to do with your career, Montel. Um, did you have any regrets? If you could go back and change something, have you got any regrets? Well, this fight, you know, trying to, trying to be a good guy. And give a Roy Jones an opportunity to you know give him a rematch, and then I get I get stabbed in the back and they don't let me warm up. So yeah, that's a huge regret. And I have proof. I have a somebody from his from his camp told me they did it. So see that fight there was that was it in the in the contract that there was a rematch clause or not? Well, no. What happened was because the fight ended in disqualification uh, and. HBO had, you know, gave Roy a new contract, so they wanted to make sure they got their money back, so they forced a rematch. And like a fool, I should have just gave the belt up. I should have just gave the belt up in the false C contract. I was offered two million to fight C Collins in Ireland, but I ended up being a man and I fought Roy and still got stabbed in the back. Yeah, that's unfortunate. And um, I want to ask you, if there was anyone you could... Is, is there anyone that you'd have wished you got to fight but didn't get the chance to? I think that guy's probably going to be Bernard Hopkins. Bernard Hopkins, Virgil Hill, and Tommy Hearns. Those three guys who I would love to be on my resume. Um, Virgil Hill retired with the most title defenses, so he's a Hall of Famer. We never got a chance to spar. We used to be in the gym together, but Eddie Foster never let us spar. And um, Michael, you know, but now I was a top light heavyweight, and I fought his pro debut on my on his card, so I wanted to fight him. And me and Tommy Hearns, the winner, me and Roy Jones, and Tommy Hearns and his opponent was supposed to fight. And um, so I hate that I never got a chance to fight Tommy. And you mentioned Eddie Futch there. Um, you know, he's known. He goes down as one of the best trainers of all time. What was it like to work with a guy like that? In your opinion, is he the, the oh, best trainer? Uh, 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 I mean, you know what? I, I have so much respect for uh, Emmanuel Stewart for what he did with Kronk Jim and all his champions and all his fighters. But Eddie Fush, you know what I'm saying? You know, I'm a, you know, I'm, of course I'm going with my heart. Uh, Eddie Fush is probably the greatest trainer ever, but uh, it's a lot of great tra- Georgie Ben, Jesse Reed, uh, it's been some uh, Roger May. There's a lot of great trainers out here, but Eddie Fush, you know what I'm saying? Because of my heart, I'm, I'm going to go Eddie Fush. Uh, he made me feel very comfortable. I felt all confident. I always felt like uh, I, always, I felt confident because I always felt like they had the answer to any question that I had. Yeah, brilliant trainer. They don't really make them like that anymore, to be completely honest with you, as I'm sure you know. Um, I want to ask you this as well, Montel. Um, you, you, you answered who the hardest hitter of your whole career was. It was Ray Latham. Um, who, who was the best opponent, the best all-round fighter that you ever boxed? 
I mean, technical wise, I gotta say James Tony, but uh, just God-given talent, Roy Jones. He's the fastest man I've ever been in the ring with. I sparred, I sparred Floyd Mayweather, and Roy was faster than him. Uh, he's the fastest man I've ever been ring, in the ring with. I sparred Bantamweight, I sparred all type of guys, and you know, Roy Jones is the fastest guy. I've ever seen in my life. And you mentioned there you've sparred Floyd. I think you said you sparred five heavyweight world champions. I sparred Floyd and, yeah, I sparred, I sparred Floyd when um, he was 140, and I was in shape for a fight. I was like 180. We sparred, and, you know, we went at it, and uh, we just put on the boxing show. He couldn't hit me. I couldn't hit him. <laughs> who's the best, you know, who, who's the best uh, fighter you've ever sparred? Who who sticks out? Because you've, you've sparred so many guys. Uh, Man, I sparred Mike McCallum, I sparred Floyd Mayweather, I sparred Murphy Sosa, Reggie Johnson. Uh, I sparred everybody, man. Uh, I mean, you know, Mike McCallum, he's a Hall of Famer, so I guess he probably was a, the best fight I've sparred. But, uh, you know, it, I, I got in the ring with everybody. I, I wasn't ever scared of nothing. And, of course, during your career, you know, you boxed, uh, you know, in in various states in the U.S. You traveled to Ireland. You traveled to the U.K., Germany, China, Kazakhstan. Where was the the best traveling experience? Where were you best treated? Oh, you know, Kazakhstan. That's probably the best I've been treated outside America. Uh, they showed me so much love, so much respect before and after the fight. Even after the fight, they showed me mad love. Uh, Barcelona probably was my favorite place to go to, uh, you know, in the Olympics. So, yeah, Kazakhstan showed me more love than any country I've ever been to in my life. Oh, that's cool, man. And coming down to the last couple of questions, I want to ask, what are you up to nowadays? What, what, you know, what's keeping you busy? We're going to get on to in a sec. Obviously, you've brought a book out. But other than the book for a moment, what are you up to these days, Montel? What keeps you busy? Well, I was a, I was a Cook County Sheriff here in Chicago for... Uh, in 2010, uh, I got suspended four years ago uh, for defending myself, and uh, I ended up buying the gym. And so the gym will be open in uh, three years in December, and things is coming together. I got after school matters. I have nonprofit, the Windy City Youth Boxing Foundation, and also I have youth classes here in my gym. Uh, this will be my third year. I'm doing very, very well. And, um, and actually, I'm waiting for my lawsuit with my job. And I'm just waiting for the gym to get bigger. And um, I dropped a book about my life, The Ice Life. Um, it's about, you know, saying being, you know, growing up, hanging around Muhammad Ali, going to his camp, being, you know, being around him. Uh, all the time I spent with uh, Riddick Bowl, Lennox Doors. Just, um, I had a great life, man. And, you know what I'm saying? I, I, I'm not the best fighter ever, and I don't have a life, best life ever, but I just feel that my story... Is a, a great story, to, you know, to hear. I, I was a kid who quit at 12 years old, took off eight years, and I made the limit team in a year and a half with only 30 fights. And then I turned pro at 14 fights later, I beat James Tony. So I just think it's very, it's a very great story about not quitting, getting a second chance in life. And I just think it's a great book. Um, my link is theicelifebook.com. Theicelifebook.com. That's how you. That's my link to buy the book, and uh, it's, a, it's a great read, and I just hope all the people in the UK get a chance to check it out. Yeah, so once again, that is The Ice Life, uh, you know, as as you give the website there. Just give me that once once again, Montel. TheIceLifeBook.com Okay, The Ice, the ice Life. Life. 
Yeah, the icelifebook.com. Obviously, you know, for people that enjoyed this interview, you know, this is just a bite size of what you're going to get in that book. Um, where? Yeah, so, it's a crazy story. So, so they can get it. Is it a thing where they buy it and it, it gets shipped, or do you buy it online? You can read yeah. it straight away. On my, or... on my link, the icelifebook.com is my. It's the link where you can order the book and they just ship it to you all over the world. Okay, excellent. So worldwide shipping. Uh, check that out, theicelifebook.com. Um, I want to ask you also, Montel, you mentioned that you've had a great life. Your boxing career was full of ups and downs. Are you a happy man these days? Man, I'm 50 years old, man. I'm at peace on myself. Uh, my life is great. I got uh, four beautiful kids. I got a great wife. I got my gym. And everything is beautiful. I can't complain. Okay. And um, also in the book, I want to ask you this as well. Um, you know, again, I'm sure you're going to, you know, really dive deep into the boxing career. Do you talk about your time as a sheriff in the book as well? Uh, a little bit, a little bit. Not too much because it's negative and they, they dirty. And I ain't trying to get them too much respect. I just wanted them to know what happened. I was defending myself and uh, they suspended me without no pay. But they, I was a world champion in the Olympia, and they put me in the max division with all murderers who knew who I was, and they threatened me every day. I got threatened every day. I went to work. So this is, a, this is a crazy, another crazy situation I had to deal with. Wow, man. Yeah, definitely go buy that book, people. Um, and just the final real question for you now, Montel. I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit at the end here. Um, we like to ask this question to everyone that we speak to from overseas. If I ask you the question, who's your favorite UK fighter of all time? Who springs to mind any era? Oh, I, I mean, I got to say Lennox Lewis. Uh, me and Lennox Lewis, we went to camp together. We had the same promoter. We fall in the same cars together. So, of course, man, it's Lewis. He's my buddy. Every time I see him, you know what I'm saying? We laugh and joke and talk. So, I got mad respect for him. Okay, yeah, that's a very popular answer. A lot of people say that. And just finally, Montel, before we let you go, my friend, we've gone over your career. We've spoke about the book. Um, if you've got any closing words just to sign out with before we let you go, of course, you don't always get to speak to your supporters here in the UK. What's your final closing message if you have one? Man, I just want to let everybody know, man, that I gave it my all. I always try my best. I respect the sport. I never brought, I never brought a black ass to the sport. And um, you know, I just want people to know how much I love the sport and, you know, how much, you know what I'm saying, how hard I work to try to be the best I could be. You know what I'm saying? Everything didn't always work out, but I gave my all. Yeah, very well said. But listen, Montel, it's been an absolute honor and a privilege to speak with you this week and walk down memory lane with you. Thank you so much for your time. God bless you, and I hope we can speak again soon. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Anytime you want to interview, give me a call. Okay, and this wraps up episode 249 of the Box Hard Podcast. I've been your host, Joey Coastman. A massive thank you to my sole guest on this week's show, the former WBC light heavyweight world champion, Mr. Montel Griffin. I do want to apologize once again for the echo issue during the interview. Please let me know if it was listenable. Um, of course, the biggest thanks of all goes out to you, the listeners. You make this show what it is. I hope I haven't let anyone down with the poor audio. I do apologize. Um, again, if you're interested in buying Montel Griffin's book, you can head to www.theicelifebook.com. Worldwide shipping, you can you can purchase it 
again at that website there, theicelifebook.com. Really, really interesting book. Um, but please enjoy your weekends, people. Stay safe. I wish you all the best this weekend, and we shall see you all again next week. <laughs>